mainly from taking men back from India. Uh, three stages, basically, from India to Crossway to where we are today. And uh, to, to be able to just share with you some of the things that we've learnt and uh, to have you interact with that and to, to just say, well, you know, what can we learn? Um, I got saved at, at 17 years old. It was a very um, black and white conversion for me. I grew up in Papua New Guinea. Mum and dad were missionaries. Went through a really hard time in teenagehood and uh, ended up uh, on drugs, um, totally lost, separated from mum and dad and had this uh, power encounter with Jesus um, in a uniting church uh, that preached that Jesus was going to come back as a woman and um, uh, all kinds of really liberal theology and I had this power encounter of Jesus in that context at the age of 17 and uh, just, um, just was really transformed, uh, became uh, from a, a hopelessly um, addicted kid, very shy to a very shy Jesus freak. Um, and uh, six months later, I was in YWAM uh, doing a DTS, and that was, ended up to be a 20-year journey for me, of which the last five years uh, for me was uh, married with two kids in Bombay, India, uh, pioneering a, a ministry over there. And really, uh, for me, it all started to happen in, in Bombay, India. My wife and I went over there, and uh, we, uh, we did everything wrong. Uh, we, we had, a, I think, $7,000 a year support, about six to seven, somewhere around there, for, for the whole year. And uh, we were out there to pioneer ministry. We had to jump in and out of the country twice in a year, and the airfares were about six to $7,000. So the rest of the money we had to trust God for, and we never wrote newsletters asking for money, and uh, we never actually did that. And it was one of the most fun experiences of my life, of living on the edge with God, uh, both in faith and seeing God provide, literally finding the resources in the harvest, literally finding resources not being supported from Australia, but actually being supported within India by Indians, uh, using, living at a totally different standard, and uh, it really defined us. Anyway, we walked into Bombay, my wife and I and two little kids, with four suitcases, and we were there to pioneer something, and uh, we weren't sure why not, and... What, I mean, and uh, we, we stood there and we looked at this huge city of about 20 million people. Sorry, back there was about 18 million, it's about 20 million now. And we, we spent the first year feeling absolutely overwhelmed. What do you do in such a big city? Do you start reaching to all the street kids, you know? A couple of hundred thousand street kids over there, man. You could go over and just pour your life in there. You start ministering to the 300,000 prostitutes in the city. Do you start ministering to the Muslim community? Where do you start? What do you do? And uh, we just started to prayer walk the city and uh, run up and down the trains and, and just start to get a feel for the city. And um, God began to speak to us. As I, I felt like I was standing in front of the Himalayas with a shovel. You know, saying, saying, how am I going to clear the Himalayas? You know, it's just totally beyond my resource. I couldn't look over my shoulder and see a lot of foreign monies behind me. I was standing there in the city and I go, Lord, what have you got me here for? 
And um, then God just started to speak to me. And I don't quite know how he did it. But it just dawned on me that the only thing that is going to reach this city is a multiplying movement. And as I started to pray in the many different communities and get up early in the morning and go to this area and go to that area, and the, the sense of being overwhelmed started to be replaced with a great sense of hope and possibility that God could plant something in the city that could start to multiply. And I started to uh, get some aha moments. In the same breath, God started to bring people to us. And uh, we started to train people, invest our lives into Indians, and start to plant them in some of the most difficult places of the city. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire, love the movie. I could take you to the places in the city where I could tell you where the tripod was standing. You know, the main film was uh, filmed three k's from our house. A lot of scenes from all over the city. But that, where that was filmed was a kind of nice slum, you know, and it had churches and everything. We, there were parts of the city that had slum, a slum there of about 300,000 called Mankud. For the past six years, m- numerous ju- denominations had tried to plant churches in that place. All of them had been closed down by Hindu fascists. And uh, it was a very resistant place. So we said, let's start there. <laughs> And so we got our worker, Vedanayagam, his name was. We invested and trained in him. I had no money to give him, not a cent. And I said, why don't you go and plant a church there? Go and live in the slum. Take your family, your wife and two gorgeous kids and find a place in the slum and start planting a church. He said, sure, why not? And uh, he went in and... Uh, that was a real success and um, you know today there are about seven churches or so in that slum as a result of that pioneering effort. Lots of prayer, lots of covering, lots of fear, lots of threats. Never, we never encountered physical uh, persecution but there was a quite a bit of fear. And uh, there was, there was uh, some, some other guys that we trained and they were real disasters. They didn't work, you know, they, they ripped us off. They ended up to be thieves and scoundrels. But God really started to teach me in that time by a brother who turned up and his name was Abai. Abai was a, a Nepali Brahmin. A Brahmin is the highest caste and he was, a, he was a seeker of the truth. He literally turned up on their doorstep and said, I'm seeking the truth about Jesus can you help me? So we said, sure, Abai, come on in. And Abai, um, we were part of his journey in faith because he had encountered witness before, so, but we, we, he, we became what he called father in the Lord to him. And Abai was a, was a man who, who's, uh, God did something in his heart. It was the fire of the gospel that started planting his heart. And we, I'd start to disciple him but then in turn, we started being discipled by him. And uh, I'd, I'd meet with Abai and he'd sometimes be living in our house or just living nearby. And Abai would come and um, he would, uh, I'd say, what have you been doing today, Abai? He says, well, I met with six Hindus. Ah, oh, I didn't tell him to do that. And he said, so what were you doing with these six Hindus? Well, I shared with them the gospel. Ah. Oh. How long have you been doing that for a bye? 
I've been doing that for a few weeks now. And once a week, no, a few more times than that, we've been meeting on the side of the hill and I've been sharing with them the gospel. As I, what I understood, I've been taking and sharing. I go, oh, that's, really, that's exciting. I couldn't claim any credit. I'd go out on the streets with a buyer and we'd just go down to the markets or something and this guy would make me feel really uncomfortable because everywhere a buyer went, he would stop and share the gospel. He would just stop and start sharing the gospel passionately to see if that person wanted to come to Christ. And uh, he, would, he, would, uh, he would be infectious. And I, I'm meant to be the father in the Lord. <laughs> this guy's discipling me. He's starting to teach me some things. Abai um, uh, does crazy things at times. As a, as a Brahmin, he's a very uh, a man of high standing. And... Um, once he, he went outside in front of a Hindu temple and just stood outside the gates in the morning and he just stood there and he just started to preach. And he started to preach the gospel and the, he started to have a bit of a crowd around about him and uh, the, the, the Hindu priest in the temple also came out and started to listen. So he's preaching the gospel of Jesus in a way that would make me shiver and tremble and uh, then uh, he would say, okay, if you're interested in this Jesus, come forward and I'll pray for you. So uh, he'd have a number of people coming forward. And, and this particular instance that he did this, he's just going around and asking Jesus to bless these, these, uh, these people. No one actually taught him how to do this, by the way. This is, this is just a bite. And uh, he lays hands on this one guy. And he kept, kept going. And this one guy starts jumping up and down on the spot. And Abai comes back. And he, this, this, this man starts yelling at the top of his voice. And by this time, if you start having a guy jumping on the streets in Bombay, you've got a big crowd. And he starts yelling at the Hindu priests that have come out of the temple. And he says, I've been coming here for a year. And I've been paying you good money to heal this cancerous growth on my back. There's a big lump apparently was there. And for a whole year I've been praying and you and your gods have done nothing. And this man prayed for me once in Jesus' name and it went. And he said, this man is from God, pointing to Abiah, and you are from Satan. <laughs> that was his words. Abiah was telling me, he said he was nearly shrinking in the ground. Such, is the, such was the fire of the gospel in Abiah's life. So... Um, uh, being a good uh, Aussie guy, this will this will make you, um, yeah. Uh, I I thought, well, I better help my brother. He's uh, uh, reflect uh, rejected by his Brahmin Hindu family, so I better arrange his marriage. And um, and uh, he had his eyes on a certain girl, so I went to the girls. I said, you know, no one's allowed to talk to one another. Went to the girl's parents and find out, found out the culture and arranged their marriage and then stood them up and said, these guys are getting married and he's happily married now. Abai um, started to plant churches. He planted churches all over the place. And some of the places he planted churches, I go back in yearly. Last year I went back in and I went into the heart of the red light district, one of the red light districts in... Um, it's not Tani, I can't remember the name of this area. And uh, you, you have to walk through literally the crowd of girls, the prostitutes that are there. You walk right through the crowd 
turn right, go down into one of the, the brothels there. And the brothels are, are full of girl, young girls who have, a lot of them have come out of Nepal. And uh, he's, this, this lady in the, in, the, uh, in the red light district who they've been building relationship with has become a man of peace, has opened up one of her major rooms, ripped down the curtains and says, why don't you come in here and plant a church? And, uh, and uh, as, as they're in that, in that place, um, they're um, seeing great fruit amongst prostitutes, actually having to bring out girls uh, who are um, nearly dead and dying. Some of them have died. They've had adopted kids of the prostitutes. and it, It's a movement that when I went there last year, I, I saw was, was, was multiplying into daughters' churches and granddaughter churches. And uh, I actually had the privilege of sitting in a room that was way, way smaller than this. And it, it was a movement that represented about 400 churches. Not all of them were his. But about 400 Nepali churches uh, in, in India that was starting to spread. Now God, I must add, uh, God is moving amongst the Nepalis. So you, you will hear a lot of good stories of church playing movements amongst Nepalis. Right? This is something God is doing anyway. And it would just happen to be that uh, I had the privilege of walking beside this one brother. It, it taught me a lot of lessons and uh, really, really um, spoke to me. But anyway, in the midst of that and doing a number of other plants with a number of other planters, um, I met this guy, Stuart Robinson, who came out uh, and saw what we were doing and said, Dave, why don't you come back to this place called Crossway Baptist? I had no previous association with and worked with us and I, I felt like uh, I was really in a position we'd raised up leaders and we could hand what we'd pioneered onto local leadership which was our objective was to get out of the way as quick as possible not to be the, the guys so we could do that and we, we handed a year, had a year handed the work over and, uh, and we came into Crossway this little yeah, uneducated waywammer, never been to Bible college, uh, came into this mega church called Crossway. Didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Felt about this adequate. Suddenly had to stand in a stage, you know, where there's so many people and stammer through sermons and felt like an absolute fool half the time. And felt um, very inadequate for the first two or three years of ministering in Crossway, covering our church planting, missions, training student pastors and interns and the Crossway Conference. My job was to, I pioneered the Crossway Conference and kicked that off. And I was swimming. I, <laughs> I didn't know all this other stuff that I'd experienced, this crazy apostolic movement called YWAM that would send people out into the harvest like they did. This church planning movement stuff in Bombay, then coming into a highly professional, highly organised church, lovely people. They were very gracious to this YWAM, very gracious and, um, and very loving and very accepting. And um, just uh, I remember as I walked in, Part of my brief was uh, to start five churches in five years. I thought, well, I knew nothing about church planting. And uh, would, I walked into Pastor Stuart and said, Stuart, 
There's a goal here to plant five churches in five years. Um, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and Stuart says, I don't know. It's up to you, Dave. And uh, so I went, wow, okay. And, and so we started a journey at Crossway. And let me just tell you some of the journey, because as church planting uh, people in Baptist circles, I think this journey will actually help you. I think this will, will really help us a lot. We started our first church uh, by planting a, a satellite church, right? church was to reproduce the program of Crossway, basically make a Crossway climb, and to start a program out there. And uh, we found that we had to employ a pastor, so we needed quite a bit of money. And uh, we went through, uh, uh, we went to the experts, it's called CRM, and uh, they said, well, you need to find someone who passes the church planting assessment. So we found someone in Sydney, because there's no good church planters in Melbourne. So we went through the church planting assessment, okay? And uh, we found that we had to pay this guy and come in, and uh, we started our first satellite church. Um, cost us a lot of money to do it. And we actually found it didn't produce a lot of fruit. We actually started a meeting and we actually drew mainly Christians to come to our meeting. And uh, that, uh, the critique of that started us on a journey to the other end of the scale where I'll end up at the end of my talk, little talk, and you can just then ask me questions, okay? And uh, so we started at this and then we... Um, we started our, I'm trying to remember the sequence of events here. Uh, we started a, a second satellite, although this wasn't as, as uh, highly programmed. It was Moreland. And then, then we, we started uh, North. But in the midst of this, other stuff started to bubble away. And we started to identify people that wanted to jump into the harvest and reach people. People like... Jeremy Hunt and Peter and Vicky Stokes came along about three, three years or so into the process and said, we, we want to we reach young adults. We want to go out there and plant this, this thing. So I sat down with them and started to mentor these, these young adults and said, sure, why don't you do that? Why don't you, why don't you jump out? And uh, found that these three, started with four, jumped down to three, Young adults, uh, for, for about a period of a year, were very quiet. Just bubbled under the surface. They, they would start to pray and start to seek God. And all of a sudden, they started to see fruit. Explosive fruit amongst really broken kids. Kids that were suicidal. Kids uh, from, from 14 to 24 or something like that. That suddenly, um, coming from the worst of backgrounds suddenly exploded into this, uh, this, this new church that, uh, that was um, um, uh, meeting in a house. And if you could see the picture of it, you know, one full corner of the lounge room is full graffiti uh, on this house. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, really 
great house and they, they met together and they did food and uh, they, they had worship and they, they just started to lead people to Christ one by one. And as you start to look at these guys, we didn't pay them a cent. We didn't give them any money and, uh, and they started to bear fruit where their community has grown up to about 60 to 70 people, mostly unchurched people. And, uh, and you go, how fruitful is that compared to this other model where we put so much resource in and had the stage and had the program and had the Sunday thing going and we could count converts maybe under 10. Yeah? Um, that, that was a real learning experience. Um, we, started to, we started to see... Um, um, other people started to rise up. God, God in the midst of that, um, I, I would start to prayer walk the city of Melbourne. And uh, one, one area of our city is the western suburbs. And the western suburbs, I, I presume, is like the western suburbs of Sydney, where it's the darkest, most difficult area of the city. And I'd go out to the western suburbs of Melbourne, did my research, did my stats, and found it, it was the bounced along the top of the the stats of being the most violent, the most poor, the most, most multicultural part of the city, the greatest paucity of churches. There's hardly any churches per, per population, you know. And I just started to pray and I started to go over these areas. And as I walked into one particular area, Sunshine and Altona, I started to develop this passion, this heart for these people. I was just saying, well, maybe, I should, uh, maybe I should start this thing in the West. And uh, so, on my days off, oh, uh, about a year ago, I started to go out to the Western suburbs and start to gather some people around. We just started to pray. There's a pray and pray and pray. For about six months, we prayed into the beginning of this year. And all of a sudden, God just started to do things in our, in our group. People were starting to be caught out of the the nice eastern suburbs place and say, move house into the worst part of the city. Why don't you uproot and move house? And a number of people are moving. God started to call people in that were, were willing to give themselves full time into this. And suddenly, we started to have openings in the harvest that were so exciting. Uh, and uh, we weren't looking for Muslims or Sikhs or any particular group that there, but suddenly uh, we found um, Sikhs. Uh, who are so open to the gospel. Sikhs, uh, you know the guys from India with the turbans and uh, they're, they're from the Punjab? Well, Catherine, uh, one of our team who started to pray with us, you know, God said, move out into the western suburbs. She moved out and she arrived in the western suburbs and said, Lord, what do I do now? Holy Spirit said, why don't you just leave the gate open? She leaves the gate open and she lives in the back of an alley. And... Um, and uh, the very next day, a Sikh lady is at her door, just crying. And she just starts to, starts to minister to her and just says, come in and pray for her and give her a big hug and finds out she lives a couple of doors down, the, down there. And uh, she, she's, next day, a couple more had come around. By the Friday, I was in the western suburbs on my day off. And I rang Catherine, Catherine, we're just out here. We'll come and visit you in a couple of hours and we just want to check out this other area. And she said, Dave, come around now. I said, no, no, Catherine, I'm actually going to come visit these other areas. She said, no, I'll come around now, Dave. I've got some people I want you to meet. Okay. 
So we came around and there's this, this couple of Sikhs, Davinda and Mandip, are sitting there. And that, we just walked in and being from India, I just start to waggle the head and put a, speak a little bit of Hindi and just start to, you know. And I love India. So there's just something God did in my heart. And we really connected. And, and, and as we started to just sit there, they just poured out their heart. And I said, you know, I actually believe that Jesus can answer you, can answer you where you're up to right now. They had, they had no experience with Christ or Christianity or Jesus or anything. I said, you know, you need a job. That's what their greatest need was. And uh, I said, I believe if we just pray for you right now, Jesus will answer the prayer. I said, would you want to do that? And I said, sure. So we just uh, stopped there. It's a Friday afternoon, about 4, 35 o'clock, and just laid hands on Davinda and Mandeep and prayed for them. And uh, Saturday morning, Mandeep is at Catherine's door, all in tears. And she said, you prayed, God answered. Davinda got a job today. Suddenly, suddenly um, God's breaking through. God gets the attention. Suddenly, this whole household of six, there's about, it depends what week you catch them. <laughs> there's about eight to 13 six that live in a two-bedroom flat just down the road. Two houses down. Suddenly, we're in the house. And Colleen and I, my wife and I, in there, and um, we're doing the Luke 10 principle. Uh, Jesus said, you go find the man of peace, you go into their house. Just listen to this carefully. You go into their house and you eat their food. And you tell, do, three, do a couple of things with them. He says, first you heal them. And then you tell them the kingdom of God is near. God is right here. He's near to you. So, so we're in the house and, and we're sitting there and... We're in the house, the bedroom of Davinda and Mandip and Sukha and, and Bavinda. Okay, you've got to get these sons of these names, and I can start rattling all the Rama, Rama, da 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 da. It's really fun. But we're sitting in the in the bedroom, and when they get their table their table out, which is newspaper, and they spread the newspaper on the floor. They go out into the overcrowded kitchen and cook some japatis and curry, and bring it back in, and and, and sit there. And suddenly, I'm surrounded by Sikhs, and they're all looking at me. And I said, do you know what? I said, this is exactly what Isa Masih, Jesus Christ, tells us to do. He says that I should come into your house. That I should actually uh, tell you. I should heal you. Is anyone sick here today? And Bavinda was sick that day. And she had a flu. So I said, we're going to pray for Bavinda. But also, Isa Masih tells me to tell you that God is near. God is right here. In the midst of this. And um, they're listening. And Sikhs are devout people. Very devout people. I'm, I'm, I didn't know anything about Sikhs before this little in, in, interaction we're having out the West. And I'm starting to do all my research, you know, behind the scenes. What do Sikhs believe? What's the worldview that we're looking at here? What's going on here? And, uh, and um, so I start telling them about Satguru, who's a the true God, the wonderful God, that's what they call God. Satguru is good. And they said, yes, because in their theology, Satguru is good. So they say, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, they start wobbling their head. You know, when you get a group of Indians, they're wobbling their heads. You've got them. They're all with you, you know. <laughs> so, so 
It's not, this is not racist. This is not demeaning. This is, this is warm and affection, all right? Um, so Satguru is good. And they go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and they say, Satguru loves all people. And they say, yes, 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 because this is what Sikhism preaches. And uh, Satguru uh, has no favorites. Yes, 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 yes. It's very good. And Sat, we can know Satguru through bhakti, through devotion. And they say, yes, 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 yes. Because that's now I've, I've got all the common ground there. And then I said, Satguru sent Isa Masih. And they go, uh-huh. Satguru sent Isa Masih to lead us, to show us the true way to Satguru. Oh, that's new. That's a new idea. So just leave that idea hanging there. Pray for Bavinda. And Bavinda comes out after we pray and she says, I feel so much better. She said, I don't know if God healed her. I just presume he did because she, she was very positive. Anyway, so the last few Sundays, my Sunday before coming here, not yesterday because I was on a plane with Steve, but a week ago, I was with four... I have... Uh, part of my Sunday is training church planters and picking them up. But um, part of my Sunday is with Bavinda, Mandeep, Sukh and Davinda. And sitting down with them and I go into their house and they spread the paper out. We have the curry and we open the scriptures and we're reading through. And they're every day they're reading through the gospel. They're, they showed me. We're up to here in Luke. Oh, that's really good. And Sunday week ago we, we just went through... Mark chapter 1. Have you ever read Mark chapter 1 with someone who's never read Mark chapter 1 before in their life? It is a weird story. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, how weird is this story? You know, in the beginning, the gospel of, uh, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a loaded statement that is, you know. It's just so full. So we discuss the gospel. What's the gospel? I've given them Punjabi Bibles. We're doing translation in English. Good news. The good news of Jesus. Great. And there's this guy called Isaiah that says there's a voice in the wilderness. Well, what's Isaiah? And what's this voice in the wilderness? And then we come to this guy called John. And John is, John is eating locusts and honey. And, and he's talking about someone whose sandal is not, not worthy to untie. And I'm sitting there and I said, dude think John is talking about thinking they would get this and they sit there going I don't know the the tension builds and who 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 is John talking about they they had no idea I was really struck by the fact they didn't know and they said let's read the next verse along comes Jesus in the desert it's Jesus yeah that's right so wonderful from from the very beginning my, my focus on Davinda in particular, he's the leader of the group, is you're, you're going to be the multiplier here, Davinda. You're going to be the guy who's going to take the gospel and try and translate it like a Bible amongst the Nepalis in India. And see, what happened for me was going from this model to the model over here where we're talking about um, making disciples in the harvest and trying to start a movement which is not about bringing them into our space. Not about uh, doing that, but it is totally in the, in the realm of the apostolic or the, or the uh, planting churches in their space. Making disciples is a better word for it. Let's forget about the word planting churches. Yeah, 
It's about making disciples. There's a number of aha moments that have happened to me from arriving at Crossway, doing this first satellite church to there. Number one was making the links back into what I did in Mumbai and what I saw and experienced. What God is doing in the third world needs to be our primary educator. Western church, let's listen up here. Let's sit down at the feet of the exploding church and let's find out what's going on there because while our church is going from here, going down to here, and we are mucking around with all kinds of of, uh, trendy and new theologies on church and everything like this, the gospel is exploding in third world environments. And we have to go out and we have to sit with humility and say, what is going on there? What is going on that we need to catch? We need to become learners, not teachers in, in these kind of environments. And for me, just, just um, Abai's gospel fire, the reason I shared about Abai was he, taught, he educated me that we've got to share the gospel. We just have to share the gospel. We actually have to go up to someone and say, Hi. I'm Dave. I'm here sharing about Jesus. How are you? And that's what I do. <laughs> I, I've gone to that extreme where I'm trying to find and look for the man of peace and every week I'm out on the streets and I go up to people and say, Hi, I'm Dave. I'm sharing about Jesus and we're playing churches. How are you? <laughs> and um, about three weeks ago I was on the street and walk past this guy and the Holy Spirit says go and talk to him, he's an Indian and I go, oh, I don't know you know, because I, f- I don't feel like I'm a great evangelist I feel like I'm a real hopeless evangelist so the, I'm walking past this guy and the uh, Holy Spirit just says go and speak to him, I say okay so I go back and I, I say hi I'm Dave and, uh, and this guy he just reacts to me, I see, you see all over his face, what do you want, what do you want from me and I said mate it's okay okay. We're just out here sharing about Jesus and planting churches. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I sit down and I say, what's your name? And he says, Amandeep. Oh, Amandeep, where are you from? Punjab. Oh, you're a Sikh. <laughs> yes. I said, oh, Lord, what is it with Sikhs? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say, Amandeep, how are you? And he just starts to pour out his heart. And he just starts to tell me his problems. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, here's one, here's another one. And he just said, I said, I'm on deep. I says, I believe, I, I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. I actually believe that if we pray right here, right now, that he's going to hear our prayer. And, um, and uh, would, would you be happy if we just pray for you? I said, sure, no problem. So Spencer and I, mm-hmm. and Sunshine Moore, and Wes and so on, we just lay hands on my friend Amandeep, and we pray. What he needed was a $500 miracle within by within four days and he had no idea where he was going to get the money from. I wasn't about to be the, the one who met, met his needs. You know, but I said, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. He said, oh. He said, thanks. We prayed for him. He said, thanks. He says, would you come to my house? <laughs> well, I said, well, okay. <laughs> sure. And so I so said, meet you next week, next Friday, which is after the, you know, what his need was. So the next Friday, um, which is few weeks back I, I, um, he meets us he searches us out he's really anxious to find us so how'd you go Amandi how'd you go and he says ah oh, someone gave me the money I said wow he said God answered your prayer that's right 
He says, this is my fiancé. We're living as husband and wife, something they probably shouldn't be doing according to their culture. But out here, would you come to my house? And so we went into the house, and these guys don't know these guys. I checked, they, they don't know each other. And um, I sit there, and I, I tell them about Satguru, who's good. <laughs> and, they, and, and we know Satguru through Bhakti, and they, they say, yes, yes, yes. And there's this, Isama, Satguru sent Isamasi. Really? <laughs> I said, can we pray for you? Yes, yes. And as we're leaving, he says, would you please come back and eat food with us? And would you, would you just come back in? And as we're walking out, I met Gurdhapreet and um, Pavitra, the other couple. And there's another one I haven't met in that house. And they're just waiting for me to turn up. And they know, because I've been really upfront with the gospel, they know that I'm going to come and share about Isa Masih. I have not gone out seeking Sikhs. <laughs> I, but I call my little Sunday meeting the seeker-friendly service, right? <laughs> the first thing that I've learned, first thing I've learned, we've got to learn from the third world. The second, you know, part of that is the fire of the gospel has to, has to be, has to be um, part of that. Uh, and there's, there, we can unpack that quite a lot. We're not there to get converts. We're not there to make converts. We're there to make disciples. We're there to teach people about Jesus and, and teach them to follow Jesus. Amen? And, and, and that's, that's huge. Um, one of, one of the other big things that uh, have been aha moments over, over this journey has been um, uh, uh, that Jesus is our model. Jesus is, is our, our model of how to reach people. And, and the, the, the uh, studying of Acts without doing what Steve did with you this morning is, is um, sometimes um, difficult because we must understand that Jesus is the founder of our movement. And he is the one who showed us, by example, what to do. And movements must start with this, this uh, a, a Christocentric um, view of, of, of our ministry. But as a model, this is how he reached people. And you start looking at, through, through missionary eyes, how did Jesus reach people? A lot of aha moments come from that. And a lot of things that flow right through from Luke... Right through Acts, it's just all there. The man of peace concept, how Jesus ministered to people, how Jesus ministered to one person and through that one person reached a whole network of people. The woman at the well, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, Levi, the demoniac, and, and it goes on. Jesus was a missionary genius, how he reached people. And suddenly looking at Jesus with fresh eyes, looking at the third world, and then looking at Jesus and doing some solid biblical reflection and sitting there with the Bible in your hands and just starting to get it, just starting to see, this is what Jesus did. This is what he is like. Wow, I have to do the same thing. That, to me, sets the bar from here to here. That starts to, to, to raise the, the standard and that starts to raise the passion and the fire. Of, of what we're do, trying to do. So some real solid reflection on Jesus and um, uh, uh, there. And um, the third thing that we, we've been learning, uh, third world, 
Jesus, uh, and um, it must be Steve's book. <laughs> uh, it's not Steve's book. Uh, but uh-huh. Steve's book is a great book. Uh, you, you buy it tonight and read it. No, I, I've gone a bit blank. I just, I've just gone a bit blank. Um, we, we, uh, when, when Crossway walked in, we had five years to plant five churches. Um, it seemed a little impossible at the time. About seven and a half years now later, after we start to dive into movement principles and as we start to adopt the multiplying dynamic, I just counted it up just in our last session, and we're, we're probably 21, 22 churches now uh, in, this, in this multiplying dynamic. And we're starting to see great fruitfulness um, in the harvest, and we're, we're just um, training people to reach people. We're training people to do what Jesus did. We're training people to, to adopt it. Um, you know, one of the big lessons I've learned was we talk so much about church, yeah? We just talk a lot about church. Uh, our table discussion tonight was all about constitutions and arguing over the need of a constitution or not of a need to... And pardon me, but give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. We have to talk and be passionate and filled with the gospel we have to engage with the gospel it's gospel first that makes disciples that plants churches and this is a Bob Roberts um, um, equation but really help me Mm. Bob Roberts uh, says uh, that we will often um, talk plant churches to make disciples to preach the gospel right Mm. and he says turn it on its head preach the gospel to make disciples and let church come out of that and we have to engage and I find even so many Christians in their witnessing for people now they go up and they say I've been walking with this person five years and gulp I've got to get their courage up to speak to them and they say here's the big opportunity and what, do they, what first comes out of the mouth I go to church they start witnessing about what? the church they don't actually start witnessing about Jesus. And, and, and the, there is a gospel fire that needs to be birthed in us that we have to grab hold of Jesus. We have to have Jesus as core and as central. And our message is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The resurrected one. The one who came. He is our, he is our everything. So when I'm talking to the Punjabis, um, they, they, they've wanted to come to church quote, unquote, and, and I've kind of let them in, but they don't fit really well there. And I'm, I'm going, well, let's keep you in your house and let's talk about Jesus. And what are we doing every, every Sunday morning when we have our seeker-friendly service? Is that church? We're not, I don't know. You know I'll let you define it um, um, because they're not yet fully believers because they don't know Jesus yet. They have to read it, they have to the, the light bulbs have to go on in their brain that they're, they're reading, they're praying they're... so talk about the gospel make disciples and let church come out of that so suddenly um, our church planters are down in Dandenong and, um, which is another hugely multicultural area and they're focusing on oikosis they're focusing on families they're saying where are the men of peace they're, they're hunting them out so one couple 
Mark and Dashi uh, have got five relational networks that they're building relationship with. They're reading the Gospels with them. They're, they're praying with them. And uh, they're sharing Gospel. And they're trying to see where is the Gospel going to explode. Uh, amongst Muslims, Buddhists, and... Um, Muslims and Buddhists. I think five net- different networks. Um, uh, we're, we're training our training our alabaster house, our, our youth and young adults. You know, they're getting big. What do we do? Do we just go and get a hall now? So no, no, no. Why, why don't you? Why don't you keep it small? And why don't you actually start training your guys to go out and plant churches? Start to reproduce what has been most fruitful. And already um, we're starting to see out of this this church um, uh, who don't relate to Crossway. They, a lot of them don't even know about this big thing called Crossway. Uh, starting to go out into other areas and plant churches. Uh, I have shifted a lot that I think, uh, not shifted, uh, I've come to the conclusion that I think simple church is one of the best methods of doing church because it's easy to reproduce, it's what we see mostly in the third world. Uh, it's what we uh, encounter mostly in the, in the New Testament. And uh, I find it is so much more fruitful than starting the program. So much more fruitful of reaching unsaved people than planting the Sunday program, getting the PA, hiring the hall, and putting out the pamphlets and hoping for people to come. That's me. That might not be you, okay, but that's kind of where I've landed um, here. So, um, what were some of those lessons that I talked about? Third world, gospel fire, help me out here, guys. Uh, making disciples, yeah. So. He actually told us, this is what you do when you go out. And actually, none of us actually sit down and take his words seriously. We actually don't. Look, this is what you said, therefore this is what we'll do. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Jesus said, when you go out, this is what you do. And we kind of read it in story fashion. Oh, that was a nice story back then. We actually don't see it as a paradigm for us to adopt um, back here. But if you start to look at what God does... This concept of the oikos or, or families uh, and, and, and gospel spreading through family relationships is fantastic. It's amazing. Um, so yeah. Yep. Um, what we're seeing, what you're describing, is happening in cultures where there's a different concept of oikos than there is in um, Okay. In Thanks. Can I, can I jump this straight there? Yeah. It's not just happening there. I've just told you about one story, uh, part of our 22. It's happening, one of our exciting stories is it's happening in the Oikos concept, it's happening amongst very wealthy um, Anglo um, exec culture. 
So one of our guys has gone out and uh, seen uh, a handful of people get saved. And, um, I thought it was 18. No, it's less than that. Less than that. It's less okay. than that. And, and um, well, the story continues. Maybe there's 18 in the group then. Yeah. Less than that. Okay. Uh, and and, and um, these, are, these are people who are executives. Some of the discipleship literally happens in the back of limousines as they get driven from their place to, to the city and open the Bible. Um, and um, in particular, it's, um, it's reached this one couple. And one person is an incredible networker. It's through her that the gospel has spread, through her friends. And um, this, this group of new believers uh, don't relate to Crossway. So the automatic reaction was, this was an accidental church plant, right? Uh, the automatic reaction was, okay, we've seen these people, so let's try and get them to the service, right? They don't relate. They don't get it. They come along. They don't get that. So we'll go, okay, let's plant a church there. And uh, right now, they, they use Alpha, and Alpha seems to work really well with those guys. Uh, they're starting to reach their networks, and right now, uh, they started with about... 20 new uh, non-believers and that's gone down to about 14 after six have said yeah not really interested now there's 14 new non-believers relating there and um, there's quite a quite a exciting church plant happening in the in a big luxurious house in Camberwell where the, the capacity of the land room is about 50 to 60 people <laughs> they're excited about Jesus and uh, it's really through the Oikos concept. It's really the same thing that's happening. It looks very different culturally than the Punjabis, um, but um, the, the same thing is happening it's in amongst unsafe people. So, so like that, Oikos, in that sense, you're taking to mean networks rather than family Yeah, I would broaden it out to, to that's what I mean when I say. Uh, it's a, there's, a, there's an oikos, there's a, there's a family, but there's, it's through that family that their the whole relational network there uh, is, is to be reached. So, absolutely. That's, that's the way I would use it, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we actually do have that as an example um, because um, otherwise you would look at it and say, okay, this is happening amongst these different peoples. And you can almost be, you can almost say, oh, well, that's that. But it's not happening amongst the Anglos. Oh, no, it's a great example. Tim uh, Shire at Church Island is seeing it happen down in Ayers with Aussie Battles, single mind. Mm. We can tell you a bit more about Warren. So we have, we have some time to interact. Um, we want to finish how, it at 9 o'clock. How about um, on your tables, what have you heard Dave say? What have you learned from the story? And then um, after you've looked at that for a while, what questions do you have? Just go chew on it for a few minutes around the table. What have you learned? What questions have you got? And then we'll field the questions. Yep. Right.